everybody. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. You guys, that was my very first intro I've ever done. Is that true? What? Yeah, I never do it. I don't like it. So welcome to the Vox Podcast. It makes me nervous. Um, Today's uh, guest is a uh, author and a speaker and a professor that I have gained a lot of wisdom from and at least a very different perspective on things, which has opened up um, different questions and different ideas for me. So we are interviewing Peter Enns today. He's written many books. Um, he's written a few studies. He's the host of the uh, Bible for Normal People podcast. And um, a lot of what we draw on today is his most recent book called How the Bible Actually Works. So yeah, we are going to outro this with Mike and Tim, but it's a good episode and I think you guys are going to like it and it's going to stir some questions and some thoughts and we're here for it. Yay, yay. Bam. Hey, everybody. We are so excited because we have with us the one and only Peter Enns. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. You're also with my cat, Marmalade. Oh, look at Marmalade. <laughs> Which you can see. She sort of senses the microphone and she just needs to have attention. So she wants to be on a podcast, I guess. <laughs> She's always Bad there. kitty, evil kitty. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah anyway that's I've, I've gotten used to it she's like on my keyboard all the time like most cats you know i just when they want something that's all she's the probably so it. happy so, anyway but i'm, I'm yeah, glad I'm we're both say, here she's probably so happy that you're home and quarantined and seriously yeah like when i go away for like four days it's like i don't know what's going to happen to this guy because she's she's it's like a rescue she's she's 11 but she was a rescue cat mm. so she's needy mm-hmm. Like didn't have mommy long enough, and guess who's yeah. the mommy? You know, so. oh, well. <laughs> <It's> okay. Worse <laughs> well, things can happen, right? Yeah, exactly. And you have a little friend with you at all times. Um, we are grateful you're here. So why don't you tell people just about yourself, who you are, and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Well, I teach at Eastern University, which is a Christian college outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I've been there for um, like eight years now, eight or nine years, and. Before that, I taught seminary for a long time, for about 14 years. But I basically, I teach Bible, and, um, you know, along with that, I have a podcast, and I do some writing and some speaking. It's just, I basically just try to, I like thinking about, like, what the Bible is, what we do with it, mm-hmm. and, you know, more helpful ways and less helpful ways of going about it, you know, because people struggle a lot with the Bible, and I don't blame them, because it's weird. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you sort of like connect with this book, which says all sorts of odd things. And so I've, that's always been something that I've been interested in too. And now I uh, just make a living out of it. Yeah. It's nice making a living out of your crisis, you know? So that's true. Yeah. Yeah, And I think you actually talked about that. If you don't mind sharing um, in one of your books that you were teaching at seminary and then you had a sort of your own shift of faith. Yeah. Um, and so can you kind of dive in what happened there and give us some background about yeah i mean it's, it's sort of evolved over time but there are a couple of moments that i remember where um you know for example i was on a plane while i was teaching in seminary coming back from something and i sat next to a woman who well, maybe at the time was 20 years older than i was and i found out she was a professor of religion and i told her i taught seminary and she goes oh then you must be interested in other religions too mm. and i said 
didn't you hear what I just said? I teach in a seminary. I'm not interested in anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what we do. We're sort of narrow. Um, but the, she sort of chided me for saying, how can you teach any religion when you don't know stuff about all the others and you sort of really have sympathy for them? And that got me thinking too. And um, I had, you know, another uh, sort of moment. On, it's always on a plane because I'm isolated and I can't get away. There so, you go. Uh, but I was watching a movie, The Bridge to Terabithia, which the details of it, which are going to escape me now, but there's a scene where sort of a um, a, 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 a hippie-ish uh, a girl who's maybe I think they're in fifth grade, but her parents are like NPR kinds of yeah. parents and they're living like rural Virginia anyway, but she's really sophisticated and stuff, but they take her to church and uh, her friends who are like really in the fundamentalist kind of upbringing, nice kids, but sort of really strict. And uh, they talk about how God will damn you to hell if you don't, mm. if you don't believe in the Bible. Mm. And she said, I don't understand how you can even think that way. Cause look at the world around you. It's beautiful. I don't think God damns anybody to mm. hell. And I saw it's a kids movie. It's a Disney movie for heaven's yeah. sake. And you know, I'm coming back from an academic conference, and I just thought to myself, I believe that. <laughs> I actually believe what she said, mm -hmm. and I sort of faced it for the first time. And it's like letting the questions come up and sort of bubble over. Mm -hmm. That to me were uh, things like that were very instrumental in me uh, taking seriously the responsibility of examining what I believe and what I say I believe and why I believe it. Mm -hmm. And that really, things like that sort of kickstarted a journey for yeah, me, yeah. which, you know, doesn't end. Journeys don't really end. Yeah. Not like that. No, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I think I like what you said there about allowing the questions to come. I mean, how many different times do we have them and we sort of push them aside or, um, or ignore them? Um, and I think you talked to a lot about that in your book, Sin of Certainty. Um, yeah. Excuse me. The one, the book that I read of yours that um, really made – well, a lot of your stuff has made an impact, but the how the Bible actually works. Mm. And then through listening to your podcast, one of the things that we really appreciate that you do is provide a space for questions specifically around the Bible. So you have all these people that are deconstructing, you have all these people whose faith is evolving, right? And mm -hmm. then something that I hear all the time is, I've deconstructed and I've evolved. I have no idea what to do with the Bible now. Right. It's sort of this, do I throw the baby out with the bathwater? Should I just get rid of it? Or sh can I keep it? If so, how can I keep it new? Right. And so um, can you talk to us about that? Like you talk a lot about in your book, uh, viewing the Bible as wisdom versus a rule book. But I'm very interested in your, um, how you still, your faith has evolved and you teach others like there's space for that and questions, but you don't have to throw the Bible out. It's still um, necessary in many ways. Right. I mean, it's sort of like a non-negotiable part, I think, of Christian faith, mm -hmm. uh, but not as a rule book, but just as this constant companion. I mean, I think it's hard to proceed with, with the Christian faith and say, I don't have any need for this story at all. Mm. Right. I mean, you're always coming back to it on some level. So yeah. I think it's very important. But I think, you know, the questions that come up just in life you start seeing that there are people in the Bible who can relate to those same kinds of questions. Yeah. And you see the struggles on the part of biblical writers and the disagreements that they had about things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, it's an important point to get to, to sort of see that, I think, because it, it validates our own spiritual process, which is always one of growth. It's not being omniscient. Yeah. It's not knowing everything. It's, it's 
you know, I mean, it's trite, but it's true. It's the, this is a journey of faith, which means we don't have the certainty, the intellectual certainty that we seek. We might have a sense of like um, conviction. Mm-hmm. Like I really truly believe so. that's a different thing entirely. That's like a full body kind of thing. That's a left right brain thing, yeah. but it's the left brain, you know, it's got to make sense to me and the Bible has to be logical. The Bible deconstructs that pretty quickly. And for people who are going through that process of deconstruction, I mean, it really strikes me, the Bible is sort of your buddy there in a sense, because mm-hmm. you you see the diversity of the Bible. It just, it doesn't let you latch onto like one simple answer. It pushes you beyond mm-hmm. that. And the deconstructive process is really, I think, I mean, I'd say it's even one of maturing in faith. And it sort of has to happen in order to sort of move to a deeper sense of faith in God and, and your place in the world. So. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, but it takes a long time to, to accept that, mm. you know, like, I don't know what I believe anymore. Okay. That's normal. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it's not that it'll pass and you'll be okay. It's like, you have to pass through this because there's something else there. Mm. But when people are used to hearing their whole lives that, well, the faith is about just knowing what you believe. And if there are cracks in the armor, what's wrong with you? Yeah. They don't. They haven't been taught to value that as a normal process of faith. So a lot of what we do, you know, the Bible for normal people and stuff that I write, is really around those kinds of themes to model the fact that there is other language, other ways of thinking that people have, not just us, but real people have used and thought about that might give people a sense of, you know, direction or hope yeah. or just, you know, you can, it's you're okay where you are right yeah, now. Yeah, even a, like a sense of... Um, this connection to another time in ancient history of other people right. that have felt the same things. And so what do you say when people ask you like, well, if they're on a spiritual journey, then how much of it is divinely inspired? How much of it is word of God versus just human authors? What's, how do we talk about that? Depends on the mood that I'm in. Right? <laughs> you know, I'm, it depends on who's asking yeah. in a sense, because um, sometimes people just want to get into a fight. And I don't really yeah. care about doing that. So, but some people are really concerned about it. And I think it just depends uh, um, truly on like, is this like a Q&A in a place I don't know anybody? Like, or is this somebody I'm asking I know? You, can it be a bull yeah. band? Like, I'm well, I think, yeah, that's why I learn. think, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, the, the setting determines sort of how I approach this stuff. But yeah. I, I think what has to happen is we have to dig into what do you mean by word of God? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm what expectations are you placing upon it? Where do those expectations come? Mm-hmm. Because and they say, well, you know, the Bible is sort of messy and people are on a journey. So how do we know what's inspired? Okay. You're assuming something there that an inspired text wouldn't do that. Yeah. What are you assuming about it? Why are you assuming it? Where does that come from? I've just found that um, it's not everybody has like an interest in that kind of discussion that really, peels away the layers of what they're thinking. So, I mean, the last thing I want to do is sort of enter in and validate ways of thinking that are ultimately going to derail in some yeah. sense. So it's it's really almost getting down to a foundational level and talking about basic things like, you know, one of our tags line, what is the Bible anyway and what do we do with yeah. it? That's a very foundational question that I think is worth asking. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. And the one thing that struck me and um, how the Bible actually works, and I'm a, I do spiritual direction work with people and I constantly point them 
to this section of your book when you talk about when people are like, well, the Bible has inconsistencies. And I think you can definitely correct me here, but I think you draw something on something that's in uh, Deuteronomy and then it's different in another book. And you're like, of course it's different because hundreds of years have passed right, between these right. two laws and these are different people and for a different time. Mm -hmm. So it it's sort of this it seems like it's more of a dance. It's these people working with God and they're dancing together as um, we move through history. Would yeah. you say that's like a, a correct, maybe maybe a helpful way to look at it? No, I think I think that's a great way of putting it. It's, you know, using a different kind of metaphor, but, uh, and that's a hard thing for people to accept yeah. if they've been taught the Bible has to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's the biggest sign of disrespect for the Bible to impose upon it a standard that simply reading it won't allow. Mm -hmm. Then then that's the whole thing of apologetics, which gets into defending a, quote, high view of the Bible, where you don't have laws in Deuteronomy and Exodus and Leviticus that disagree. They can't. Right. The Word of God would never do that. Oh, well, it's doing it. So what are you going to do now? You know, well, deny it. And some people do that. And that can last for a while. But others, they just have too much cognitive dissonance as a result of mm -hmm. that. And then they say, well, I guess there's nothing to this faith thing at all. Mm -hmm. And I should just drop it entirely. So put on the brakes, man. You, you, everything here is resting on way, unexamined ways of processing basic questions of the nature of God or what the Bible is, and those are the things that have to be examined. But that's a hard for, place for people to go to when they've been used to one way of thinking about all this, and it's yeah. black or white, it's one way or the other. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, because um, even now we see, so right now with coronavirus, right, you see all these questions, you see people um, taking it black and white, so you have to leave these certain things. This is a judgment, so you better get, I had somebody text me and say like, it was a group text like this is a judgment so we better get ourselves right with god immediately i was like i don't know what that <laughs> means um, right. yeah and then or sometimes you do see and i would love to know your thoughts not even necessarily in corona but this uh, method of i see something happening in the world and i'm going to look for it in scripture and so therefore it's the same thing so i see a plague happening in the world right. so i'm going to read the section of plagues in the bible so um, what is the difference then of doing that well and pointing us towards wisdom versus taking it out of context and applying it to our like American life? Right. I think that's almost the million dollar question. You yeah. know, how do you know, like understanding the Bible to be a book that's actually open to different interpretations, mm. Which is something we see within the Bible itself. That's why it's you can validate it that way. Yeah. But how do you know if you've gone too far? How do you know if you're doing it right or not? And I think at the outset, the answer to that question is well, we we aren't really sure if we're doing it quote right, right. or not, and we're not sure where the boundaries are for right or wrong. Yeah. So that can paralyze people, but it might also empower people to say, listen, what do you think is happening mm -hmm. here? And sometimes, you know, when we sort of reach to the Bible to grab something to sort of baptize what's going on. Sometimes, you know, even if it's like a weird way of looking at it, there are good motives to it. It's like, you really want to try to understand what God is doing. This is your way of doing it. Right. And, and I would be careful, not necessarily to like correct somebody and say, you know, you're, you're reading the Bible wrong. Right. So I, I think more flexibility about that. I don't, in other words, I don't really have this sense of panic about, 
or you're doing it wrong, you're not doing it through wisdom. Sometimes time will tell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no pamphlet to go to. Well, here are the things you check off. Well, this is not a wise interpretation. It's a lot more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. And the history of the church and how it's interpreted the Bible is so diverse because mm -hmm. there have been so many diverse Christian groups and throughout history. It's almost hard to sort of hem people in yeah. and sort of say, you've got to do it one way. And But do I draw lines? Yeah, like I don't like like a lot of TV preachers who say you're going to get rich if you send me money yeah. and they take something out of Proverbs. Like I, <laughs> right. I have my own standards, yeah. right? And the thing is like, what are those standards? And like, I, I don't know, but I know when I see mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I, I just have a sense of something that's gone too far. And that doesn't make for a good textbook or something. But I think that's that's often how these things are adjudicated. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think my I'm curious oh, yeah, in your classrooms. Are you what kind of conversations have you guys been having? Because I teach at a Christian university, but I teach English okay. composition. So most of our conversations have been more societal. Yeah. Kind of like this, like looking at a lot of the conversations have been about technology because it's a generation that has grown up in social media and and so yeah. their their adjustment period to this is a little bit different than a lot of other people's adjustment period has right. been but the faith conversation i think is really interesting with that with that generation is there because everything is everything's lifetime mm -hmm. if that makes yeah. sense like they're reacting in faith and they're reacting in society and everything is happening as quickly as a social right. media feed does yeah i'm curious what kind of conversation or if you guys have had conversations in your classes and online like what are the what are the kind of things that you guys have been talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, not just now, but before, you know, and what I, again, you know, we have a sampling of young people, but, you know, I, I, I see a lot of them who they come from films. They're raised by parents who were not raised in this climate that you're talking mm -hmm. about. Right. But yeah. they are. And I see both, um, a certain kind of stress with the students about this fast-paced mm. life and they want to hold on to something mm -hmm. and i guess it's the bible but okay to give you an example we had a student years ago he came out on facebook by his own design he wanted to do that and hundreds of comments from eastern students like way to go that's great so happy for you you know you know jesus is great all this and I'm reading these comments, and I'm like, I know you who just commented affirming the, uh, the student coming out. You think the world is 6,000 years old and evolution's wrong. Mm. How do you reconcile those two things? And I think what, what I saw, and others have commented on this you know, professionally, but the, the younger people today, they're more interested in community than necessarily having um, – the kind of certainty that maybe their parents or youth lead taught them to have mm. who were maybe born in a different generation. And I think yeah. they're ready for different kinds of conversations of maybe, maybe being more ready for some of the ambiguity of our existence yeah. because it's so out of control. You can't possibly, you know, it's not the fifties, right? You cannot wrap your arm. Everything's nice and neat. Just live in a suburb and everything's fine. It's much more complicated and fast moving. And I think that if anything will push, people to just i mean i've talked to people who are just like more relaxed right now oddly enough mm -hmm. even though it's a stressful yeah. time because it's like life got really simple for me yeah you know yeah. and that's there's something to that i think 
Yeah. 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 Kind of able to yeah. let other things fall away and go, oh, I didn't have to worry about that today. My kids are actually, um, I mean, granted, sometimes bouncing off the walls, but better behaved. Like my son yeah. is like, oh, I, you know, I don't have to. It's like these stressors he didn't know he had and I didn't even know he had. <laughs> They're not there. Right. Um, so it makes you kind of think about that a little bit. Um, right. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, too. So in your book, um, first of all, your footnotes, they cracked me up. I didn't know Good. what to think and you were funny. So thank you for doing that because that was, it was entertaining. Well, some people say there are too many dad jokes. I'm like, what's wrong with dad jokes? No, I thought they were hilarious. They were hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they were so. funny. Um, but so what's interesting is that I was like, I tracked, I highlighted, I underlined, um, and I was like tracking, tracking, tracking. And then when I got to reading Paul as wisdom, that was yeah. a tougher spot for me. And it wasn't because after I sat with that feeling, it wasn't because of anything you said. It was because I realized that somewhere I have picked up the idea that Paul is like even more something than the rest of the Bible, right? Like, yeah, because you're a Protestant. That's <laughs> yeah. why. I mean, that's so pretty common, sort of, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think, I think that's common. I don't think people know that that's there. Right. If that makes sense. So, um, can you discuss like so because paul if anything if we're talking about going towards wisdom if we're talking even about this stuff like you said drawn towards community um paul seems to sort of throw a wrench in that it feels it feels like if you haven't done the work or you haven't done the studies or whatever that paul's literally just telling us how to live yeah, and so right. people really really do that so that i think especially i know a ton of young people that hate paul right because they're like he is so out of touch he has no idea what do we do with that right yeah, I think that's that's almost for a lot of people that's the heart of it too because Paul is held up as the clear logical thinker who's just laying it on the table for you mm -hmm. and it's the Bible so you do what Paul says mm -hmm. and um you know I'm always reminded and this is you know many people have heard this too from other sources but one of my seminary professors saying that when you're reading Paul, you're reading somebody else's mail. Mm. You're not you're not aware of the context. You don't know what's happening, and we sort of have to put the pieces together. And it's always struck me as maybe God's little joke that most of the New Testament is letters, mm -hmm. not speeches. Letters where we don't know half the dialogue. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So if there's any place where you need wisdom to interpret it well it's mm, there mm -hmm. ironically even though it looks like the most like romans is systematic theology nonsense it's a contextual letter it's an occasional letter they call it it's for an occasion and scholars debate what that purpose is and there are several probably pretty good options but to look at that as sort of like a timeless you know grouping of words in a letter to people that have um a kind of validity that you ne never have to think through mm -hmm. that's that's it's difficult to read that because i mean paul says stuff i mean you now i talk about this in the book romans 13 1 about obeying the authorities that are in place you know not being um obedient to them because they're placed there by god the secular rulers the authorities are placed there by god and you know that comes up every election cycle depending on who's on the white house and whether you like them or not if you like them you say hey romans 13 one we can't go against them how dare you <laughs> if you do if you don't like them then you have another verse you can appeal to but the thing is that 
people really debate, what is Paul doing in Romans 13? Why is he saying that? Because Paul himself is at odds with the Roman Empire all the time. Mm -hmm. That's sort of his life, you know, and he finally gets arrested and put under house arrest and legend has it he was even, uh, you know, martyred by, by the Romans. We don't actually know that. But, you know, how do you put those two things together? Is you have Paul who's in a letter saying one thing and sort of his life is doing something else. Was he contradicting himself? Well, no. I mean, I think that's sort of a, just an, a too easy place to go. You look at the context of Romans, you try to understand what is Paul doing there. You know, one explanation that has made sense to me, this is, you know, an academic explanation, but um, this is a context where Paul, um, there, there are Jewish and Gentile conflicts in the book of Romans. And uh, Jews had been kicked out of Rome a few years earlier by one of the emperors, and then they're allowed to come back under the other emperors, and now they remix with Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And there are tensions there, and Paul's dealing with the Jewish-Gentile tension in this church in Rome. And, you know, one thing you can say about Paul is that maybe he's saying something like, listen, Romans is a nerve center for the spread of the gospel. It's the center of the world, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Don't hack off the emperor. Just, Just don't don't recreate the stuff that might have led them to kick Jews out earlier at some point in time. Mm. So in other words, I mean, I don't know if that's true, and I don't know if that's the best explanation, but it's trying to be sensitive to the context a little bit and not take that verse as sort of a non-negotiable, eternally valid in every circumstance idea because it's in one of Paul's letters. I think Paul would be horrified to think that you're – taking this as something that's never to be discussed or debated, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And that's why I think Judaism has a better handle on these sorts of things because they're more used to debating with scripture and with God and like trying to discern what's the best thing to do. Protestant Christians, especially, we're not good at yeah. that because, you know, we've got inerrancy and biblical authority, not the Pope. So the Bible has to be right. You can't question it, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's sort of a mess, but if anything, it's the letters, I think, that really display our, our, our need to discern whether that context is analogous to what we're going through now, like coronavirus or something, mm-hmm, you yeah. know, it, what's happening? Is it in any way analogous to that? And do we do what Paul does or do we do something else in the spirit of the gospel? Yeah. Paul did not abolish slavery. Mm-hmm. I think it should be abolished, right? So <laughs> right, right? I think most of us agree with that. That's not a biblical concept. Mm-hmm. That's going beyond it because we're not going to be tied to verses that Paul uses that seems to say, well, you know, there are slaves and that's just the way it is. Just treat them well. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And like you just said, I was thinking about like, what if we had this podcast and we aired it with only my questions or only your answers? <laughs> and then the the what was happening on the other end would be, <laughs> you know, filled in in our imaginations or whatever. Um, But something that um, I listened to of yours when you, I think it was called Pete Ruins Exodus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That kind of bridged the gap for me was when you talked about the plagues and um, the genre of mythical history. And what I realized is I needed in my head um, to free the biblical writers 
from my own expectations of them. Yeah. So I needed to free them up to write in the genre, in the time, in the context, not in my genre, time and context. Um, and I was, once I did that, I was like, oh, Paul doesn't need to be doing what I think he should be doing. I need to be hearing right. what Paul is doing or hearing what um, they did in the play. So like one of the things you talk about in, the, in, in that, and please fill in and correct me here if I say this wrong, is that there was a genre of mythical history. And so, so many of us are asking the question, did these plagues really happen? Were they really like mm -hmm. this? Did this exist? And the point that you make is it doesn't actually matter. That's the wrong question. Um, more this idea of this was a, a, this was a genre in the ancient Near East. And also this is how, at least this is how I'm viewing it. This is how they needed to think that this happened. This is how they needed to remember it happened to preserve their history and to bring out the storyline of that God is the great liberator. Yeah, and, 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 you know, maybe another way of putting that too, I agree with that, that um, maybe this is the way you needed to say it mm. in order to communicate the magnitude of the God they believe in. Mm. So mm -hmm. um, you don't, I mean, and just maybe, another, I don't think, I don't talk about this in the book, but another sort of a quicker example is how um, in the ancient world, when you defeat another army, Mm -hmm. And if you win, you say things like, we completely destroyed them. We didn't leave a single person alive. Everything was wiped out and they're never to be heard from again. That just means you won, right? Yeah. If you lost, you say, we killed thousands and we didn't want to invade their fortress. Right. We didn't feel like it. So we turned away and got back. <laughs> so you never sort of admit defeat. So the, the point is that you're always exaggerating, you know, to make a point and to take that literally. Mm -hmm. This is about like the, the you know, the Canaanite thing and, and going to Canaan and killing everybody. That's, that's, I mean, most people think that's a clear exaggeration of maybe some battles or something like mm -hmm. that. But that's, again, you're not, you have to maybe as best as we can learn to table our own expectations of what we think the Bible should be doing mm. and try to understand how this Bible is working as best as we can within the framework of the people who wrote it. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause if we have sort of, you know, historicistic hist history and truth are the same thing. And, and history is like a thing and you can tell if it's true or not. And that's sort of a, like a rather naive view. But if we place that onto the Bible, we're going to be in a lot of trouble mm -hmm. because events contradict each other and uh, the way that writers talk about them. And some of them are, are just more meant for ancient ways of thinking. Yeah. And, um, and so what we're seeing in the Exodus story may be, and th this, I think it really, it fits, I think with, um, with what you're saying, Bonnie, is that, Exodus is almost a story that bears witness to the faith of the Israelite writers and their understanding of God and their communion with God. And to take it to a spiritual level, what if God's okay with that? Mm. You know, yeah. well, okay, I'll tolerate it, but you got to be accurate. Right. But one day well, Paul will come around and it'll be accurate. Mm. Well, no one talks of God or thinks about God outside our own experience as a human being and what we think about the world as a whole. Mm -hmm. We all do that. Yeah. Every human being does that. No one is like looking for the top down at the God question. We're all down here, limited in our culture and our context, using the language we know, the categories we know. We're all getting it wrong and we're all getting it right at the same time. And it's all fine. 
And I see the Bible modeling that for us, which mm. thing that I think is so valuable about the Bible. It's actually modeling for us the kind of thing that we do as people of faith all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I think that's really interesting in, in the end in light of the, because we've been having a lot of conversations about context and different, with different guests or different mediums, how to read things the way they are meant to be read or, you know, looking at genres of literature within the Bible and how to approach each genre. And, um, and then with the, and then I've, I've been really interested in what the early church looked like, you know, as, as people are waiting for these letters from Paul and how long they take to come and the amount of time that's in between each letter and, and and these people meeting in their homes and a church is 20 people or whatever, and they are, meeting three times a week or however, however often. So, so much of that time is spent just on each other's lives mm-hmm. and, and is spent in this idea of community. And, and then the stuff that we were saying about, because I'm seeing this too with my students and I'm trying to find um, through lines and conversation about, because the church is in a weird spot right now. We've been, we were talking earlier about how the church is just trying to re, they're trying to refabricate Sunday right, mornings right. in this digital environment. A lot of churches are not trying to be imaginative with how to reach out to people. They're just like, how do we keep doing church how we do church until we can go back to doing church again the way that we do right. church? <laughs> and the kids, like this idea of community, if people can have a permission to step away from um, a lot of stuff that you're saying about how the Bible has been mm-hmm. interpreted or how it has been applied, and if to tr- to learn how to read it again, I mm-hmm. guess is, and if if that can happen in community, yeah, in the way that I think, and I th- I see that so much in in th- this college age group because it's like they're you know we have so many conversations in my classroom about how like you guys are at this you guys are at this weird tipping point of life right you're you're emerging from the family cocoon and you're kind of like you have to all of a sudden make all your decisions for yourself. You have to decide what your faith is for yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to decide what your political ideas are for yourself, you know, x y and z going forward. And they do a lot of that base in community when they feel like they have the freedom for it. And I, I'm really interested and curious as to what the church could be coming out of this and then what the church could be with this younger generation and um it's just a really fascinating if we can give freedom and space to try right. to reconcile a lot of things that there's a really interesting beautiful kind of thing that i could see yeah like rethink time period thinking the structures of what's yeah. always been done because i mean i well i'm gonna go preach in front of a camera to a, an empty room mm-hmm. like, yeah i just did that two weeks ago. i'm like and i would think of something else i would go real fast <laughs> I, I would do that once maybe and like i'm not doing this yeah. ever again it's <laughs> yeah. too awkward so how do you do this differently which is a good question but yeah, I'm pretty confident that um, what might be like this quizzical problem for people like me might not be for younger people if you just mm-hmm. let them think about it and figure it out, you know. But mm-hmm. the thing yeah. is that we're too beholden to the institutions and and institutions pay people, even young people who are maybe youth workers and things like that. And it's hard to get out of that because it's – I mean, I hate to say this, it's economic, you know, it pays for things, you know, you have the rent and the mortgage or whatever and a house and a couple of cars and you don't want to mess with that. So you want to perpetuate that. Yeah. And it's, it's driven by um, a need to not lose control over this, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, may, maybe 
part of this is learning that we don't really control anything. It's just an existential, <laughs> except maybe putting it but apart from that, there isn't too much that we can control. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think that's an interesting conversation. The role that you play within the lack of control, like what you, how you live into that or how you partner into that idea. And cause we are such a control centered right. yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, well that's how do you do that? You just, you figure it out when you have to, yeah. right? You know, you don't figure that out when things are going well. You have to sort of work that out when it's not going well. So, um, you know, I, I keep my ears open. I'm, I'm, I just hear stuff from friends online or things I just come across on Twitter or Facebook, and and people are saying this might be a time to re-examine some stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, I guess that, that I'm, I don't guess. I think that's a good thing, yeah. including yeah. church. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I know. It's like we have enough time to think about it, but not enough energy to dissect it as we might in this like anxious way. Right. Does that make sense? So like maybe that will prove to be good to sort of let, like you said at first, sort of let some of those questions come and bubble right. up in a sense. Need time. You know, we mm-hmm. can't just like you can't have a faith crisis for a week. Yeah. It's got to hang on for a while because it's got to dig deep. And, and I think this is a similar kind of thing. You can't just like. You know, if we if we go back to normal too quickly without questioning what's the normal we're getting back to, mm-hmm. the the pain hasn't done its job at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I think to try to be intentional early on and to be reflective and to think what, how am I looking at reality differently now? What's what's the thing I want to try to get back to that maybe it's not all that to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's just a fantasy. It's just the control thing that I'm going back to. And what's what's a different way to live? Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't have an answer to give a quick answer to that is to exert control in some way. Right? Yeah. I don't have a quick answer. To that. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of the beauty of it to a certain extent. Right. Like I we had a rabbi on um, to talk about Passover stuff. And Bonnie ought to remind me exactly how he said this. But he was talking about the infinite nature of God and the kind of the curiosity that that inspires in us as we chase after that. Like it's a. Mm-hmm as God is revealed, continually revealed and continually whatever, like the, there's, you know, there's always corners and facets that haven't quite been seen sure. or inspired in us yet. And it, it's a fun, I, th- I think that this is, th- these are those kind of time periods where you, where you can look at the idea of relinquishing that control a little bit and then, then letting God be revealed mm-hmm. even further mm-hmm. to inspire a new, to inspire that journey that, right. you know, you were talking about earlier, like, yeah where are we going how are we pushing forward and right. how can we be led in that yeah is a really interesting god's always interesting conversation is out there like in front of us and beyond us and that's part of you know embracing the ambiguity the mystery of it all and i don't just throw those words out i think they're very important mm-hmm. mystery is a yeah. very good word yeah. because if god is yeah. real god i mean richard Rohr talks about it's not that god is unknowable but he's god is infinitely knowable mm. in other words you yeah. never exhaust knowledge of god and when we think we do that's that false control thing that we have going on yeah. and it's it's times like this or many times that people have if we're aware of them that we'll see that and and uh to to get a bigger god out of all this stuff mm-hmm. That would be a nice place, I think, for for me and for a lot of other people to be, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I like how there is a juxtaposition of how 
this infinitely knowable God. And then a line that you guys always say on your podcast, you and Jared, as you say, um, God chose his people to write his story. Yeah, God lets his children so, tell the story or something. Yeah, something like that, yeah, yeah, something like so, that. So yeah. there's like this infinite <laughs> God who uses mm -hmm. these everyday humans, right? right? Like it sort of bridges this gap when we look at the Bible in that way. Because sometimes you're sitting there and you're thinking these existential questions, you're having these things and um, your new ideas are brewing up. You have creativity and like all these different things. And then you think... Like, this is stupid. I, I can't, in one sense, I can't know anything new. I can't, you know, you sort of have this feeling of disempowerment. Mm -hmm. um, but I I have found through looking at the God and the Bible and how he uses people through that lens sort of does empower to say, I mean, we do have something new to bring to the table that brings about yeah. recreation and all this stuff that God is doing. Right, right. And, yeah. you know, that's always sort of moving forward in the sense where, I don't mean so much in terms of progress, but just expansion mm -hmm. of what it means when we think about God and talk about God and not thinking that we always have to get back to the beginning or to the previous generation, or even, you know, going back again to the Bible itself where you have, I, I think you have these moments of clarity in the Bible, but I also think you've got, again, that same process of people's consciousness of God being expanded within the Bible itself and and people living after the exile probably didn't think about God the same way as they did before the exile because something bad happened. Yeah. And they had to process God differently. And that's that's so important, I think, for people to know. Just and if, you're, if you're interested in the Bible coming along with you and this process that we're in now, it's just ready and waiting. It's, mm -hmm. it's not the closed-off answer book. It's actually it's mm -hmm. about... What's the new thing God is doing that you have no idea about? Yeah, yeah, mm. that's a great point. I always think about that, um, the journey to the promised land. Like if you were there and then Moses died, like that, if that was me, that would be really tough to assume I can still trust that we'll all right. get there. <laughs> like I would be like, we are so screwed. We like, we are out here to die. He has tricked us. Oh, great. We Way are to go. done for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I think <laughs> that's so true to allow our own humanity to ask those questions and to go like, what would that be like if that were me is crucial mm -hmm. to, right. um, to understanding. That's awesome. So if you could give people three of your top, books or podcasts or authors or somebody that w who is kind of just dipping their toe in this type of uh, looking at the text differently and sort of allowing yeah. things to sit and bubble up, where would you point them? Um, well, yeah, I I'm, a, I'm lousy at answering that question. Here's why, because the, the people that I sort of have processed that with were professors of mine, mm. like in graduate school and stuff. And but I think they're wonderful. I mean, we've had, like, for example, on our podcast, we've had John Levinson, who's a Jewish scholar who was one of my professors, and he's written an awful lot of stuff about just the Bible and what he thinks is going on, how it works, mm. you know. And so um, he has this great book, um, uh, The Creation and the Persistence of Evil, mm. which is actually pretty readable. You wouldn't guess it by the title, but it's just a, it's a, it's a good <laughs> book about um, – just like the problem of evil mm -hmm. and pain yeah. and things yeah. like that. Um, cool. uh, another professor of mine, James Kugel, who writes some popular level stuff, but he writes so much about the very thing that a lot of, I mean, your listeners and my listeners and my podcast, they think about is like, 
what do I do with the Bible in the modern world? Because yeah, it's such great. an ancient book. Mm-hmm. Well, he processes that stuff from the point of view of Judaism. Yeah. And it's almost like anything that he's ever written talks about stuff like that. Yeah, he does but, a great uh, job. I, I mean, if people care, one title that it's it's a great, it's one of the best books on this topic period. It's called How to Read the Bible. Mm-hmm. And he always goes back and forth between ancient Jewish ways and modern ways, how they conflict, how they differ, what do you do about it? Yeah. And um, that's, I mean, I think there's so many tools out there. You know, we have a lot of guests on our podcast too that, yeah. that talk about this sort of stuff. And it's like, if you want, just go to the website and and um, uh, just, just you, you can see the list of people we've had on. If something strikes you, just click something, yeah. you know, and, Your book and too, uh, that the... often leads you to other places too, yeah. you know, not just certainly, yeah. but. No, yeah, in your book, um, I think it's Bible and the Believer. Yeah. Wow, you do a great job of lining out these different viewpoints. Right. And it sort of gives permission to shift and to land in the middle and to kind of weigh it all. So I appreciated right. that work of yours as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that was a fun book to write too. So, yeah, yeah. with a with a, a Jewish um, author, Mark Brettler and Daniel Harrington, who died a few years ago, but Roman Catholic. So different views on how the Bible and the believer, like how do you how do you do this, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. and that's not that's a question that if you're like in the really conservative end, let's say of evangelicalism or fundamentalism, that's that's a discussion you might not have as much use for mm-hmm. because you sort of close off a part of that conversation, the modern part. Mm-hmm. But for those who who like can't do that anymore, mm-hmm. like there there are resources like that out there, yeah. you know. And you know, I wrote the Bible tells me so again for that reason. And you mentioned the sin of certainty, which mm-hmm. is processing the doubt that sort of comes out of that mm-hmm. and and then how to read the Bible, which is um, how the Bible actually works rather, which is the one that you pointed to before, which it's sort of like a next step, like, okay, so what do you do with it? Right. Well, it's a book of wisdom, yeah. and so, like, let's move along, and just here's here's why the Bible is a book of wisdom, giving people permission to sort of, like, it's okay to try to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no verse for that. There's no app for that. There's no verse for that either sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Pete. This has been great. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Good to meet all of you. You too. You too. Yeah. Stay yeah. safe and wash those hands. All the time. But I never go outside, so what difference does it make? <laughs> exactly, it doesn't so, matter. Right. And um, I have a big theological question to ask you real yeah? quick. Just oh, a real, yes. a, a large, like, earth-shattering one. Are you a Yankees fan? Yeah, do you think I am? What's <laughs> well, well, just floating. Well, yeah, well, I can see that floating above you. Was this your year? Oh, no, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe not. They had too many injuries already. Like in, yeah. Before spring training even started, so here we go again, so... But we'll never know. I don't think they're going to play this year at all. That's fine. I don't, yeah, we were uh, just having the conversation with somebody. I don't remember who it was. And they were talking about, well, you know, hopefully schools will be back in session and things that are kind of like that. But we'll probably be doing it in masks and gloves. But sports and concerts, you're like, right. you know, mm-hmm. is it late 2021? Is it? No Gosh, that's weird. Yeah. Right. So now we're watching right. professional athletes do um, online video game tournaments and stuff. I know. That's. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Or like old games are airing on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is which is fun to watch, but Really? Not for me. So. <laughs> yeah, I would not watch I'd rather watch Netflix. Okay. Yeah. So. yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Alrighty folks. Cool. Thanks, right. Pete. Thanks so all. Much. Good to meet you. See ya. Okay. Bye. See you, Pete. All right, so there you have it. There was our interview with Enns. 
Uh, I probably have a lot to say, but I just did so much talking. So, Eerie, why don't you kind of, what did you think? What did what'd you leave with? What did what hit you? What was new? What wasn't? Ooh. Well, first of all, um, Pete never fails to provoke. He is, he, he has such a great manner about him in terms of sarcasm and a sense of humor and he very much cares um for people who have kind of um, become refugees from sort of the bible culture that many of us are familiar with you know what i mean and that shines through in so much of his work um but he never he never shies away from being provocative and and thought you know and raising all sorts of interesting questions so I, I was I was like, yep, there there are parts I'm like, dude, of course. And then there are parts I'm like, ah, I have questions about that. And then there were parts I was like, I don't know about that one. And which which is what he does. I mean, that's his gift to the you know, to the kingdom. And so um the and I've read the book a couple of times and um uh, I'm with you in the sense of uh there's a lot of good stuff. Um, to cover. I mean, just the, just the idea. I love that you started with, okay, well, why the Bible yeah. still, you right. If it, I mean, I, and his, his thing is the Bible's non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. I love, love, Well, love, hold love on. That. Can I say something to that real quick? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that um, I often hear, and I think I said this, but I think you and Tim would agree too, is that a ton of people deconstruct and then they reconstruct but they don't know what still what to do with the Bible. The way that their evangelical upbringing or whatever upbringing it might be has always held the Bible in such a tight way or tight box. It's like they don't know how to undo it. And I have found a ton yeah. and then do it new again. So I found a ton of empathy for that group of people going like, yeah. I still want this. This is still vastly important to me. It's huge. I just. I don't know how to look at it differently. It, it feels mm-hmm. very, mm-hmm. Um, it feels like it ends conversations instead of opens it. So how can I approach it to yeah. open it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I, I, I'm just no particular order. I'm just going through thinking about what the conversation was. The idea of looking at the expectations we place mm-hmm. on the Bible, mm-hmm. man, so good. And I. And that has been drilled into me for years. It's the idea that we expect the Bible to do things the Bible never promises to do. I mean, could not agree more. Um, He had an off, it was kind of an offhanded comment about younger people, but he's like, younger people are more interested in relational integrity than the certainty of their Mm. parents. And I was like, wow, that's that's true. You know, And and, and, and that could easily be a place for older folks to judge younger folks or vice versa. But I thought, wow, that that's, it's, it's like when somebody close to you does some art piece that normally you would find it wouldn't be very good, but because you know them and in our own relationship with them, you find it yeah. delightful. You, you know what I mean? Um, I was like, yeah, that's good. I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with the book necessarily. I'm just kind of going through stuff. I was like, wow. Um, and then I loved, I mean, his huge point, the big point in the book is the Bible is diverse. It's ambiguous. Oh, crap. And I forget the third word, ancient. 
And it's that way for a reason. And that reason is to cultivate in us wisdom. It's not to provide the instruction manual for every scenario we're going to encounter in life. You know what I mean? How, I mean, I just think, and, and, and that he uses the word wisdom is so important there because, um, I, I couldn't agree more with the idea that if you go to the Bible, looking, looking for help addressing every conceivable human quandary or question, mm-hmm. you're just going to be very disappointed and disillusioned with what yeah. you find. Uh, but if you begin to understand it differently and, and that it forces, it's the same way we raise kids, right? I mean, we're all parents, at least the, the three of us, and we're not teaching our kids to have to have things written on the wall every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? There are times for that, but that isn't the goal. Right. The goal is they become formed into certain kinds of mm-hmm. people who know the good and the true and the beautiful and choose to do it without having to be threatened or instructed. Yeah. yeah. So I just thought, bam. Yeah, that was good. He did a good job there. I mean, and that's really the first point of his, that's the, of the first part of his book. That's his yeah. big point. And you're like, yep. Couldn't yeah. agree more. Yeah. I thought that was great. What were the three things? Ambiguous. Ambiguous in the sense that it um, sometimes speaks uh, two different sides of the same issue. And he uses the example of there are two proverbs sitting right next to each other. One says, answer a fool according to his folly. And another one says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. So which is it? <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, the answer, of course, is, well, yeah. it depends. It's yeah. both. So it's yeah. ambiguous in the sense. Oh, yeah, no, go ahead, Bonnie. It depends. It's both. Depends on who you're talking to or what the context is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's ancient in the sense that um, it's it's involved in Twitter conversations that are 2,000 years old right. or more, right? 4,000, 6,000, millions, who knows? Um, and that we're often just getting one side of the story. Um, even when you get to the New Testament, right? He's like Paul's letters. It's just one side of a conversation. And then he says it's um, diverse in the in the diverse. sense, and, and this is where I have questions, or one place, but diverse in the sense that it doesn't present a unified voice, and it speaks with different voices, and that's tr- that's absolutely true, in a superficial way. I don't know, I'm like, eh, I don't know how true that is. The farther you go down, but it would be a question I'd have rather than something I would, you know, disagree with. It would just be more like, hmm, I don't know what that means. See, so those that's, are, a, that's a beer porch conversation. <laughs> yeah. That, that is beer porch, Scooby-Doo, and <laughs> Harry Potter. Go. Convo. I don't drink beer. Oh. <laughs> I don't really drink beer that much anymore either. It'd be whiskey. See, everyone will bring their there own flavor go. to the... It's the See, melting it's di- pot of it's humanity. It's diverse. It's diverse, Tim. Exactly. That's what that is. Yep. Bonnie, what did you think? What um, did you like? I liked his one thing that he um, he talks about in the book, and then we hit on the interview. But um, something that really helped me is when he says, "Like, there's a different law in this book, and then in the next book, it's the same law, but it's a little different." Is um, he said, "Well, of course it is, because it's." hundreds of years between it's a new people it's a new time it's a new so for me um uh one of the things i often say in like our spiritual direction is when we're talking to people 
I'm talking to clients or talking to people and we're discussing the way people are reacting to us is one of the things that I often say is like, let's set those people free from whatever it is we're putting on them. Meaning like we can't control necessarily other people's reactions or even how um, the things we say might sit with them or whatever. So to put it back in the context of the Bible, that was helpful for me um, in saying, oh, I'm setting the Bible free from having to answer all these expectations I'm putting on it, um, doing all these things, and to be unexplainably right all the time. I'm allowing for more mystery, and to me, mm-hmm. that mystery leads to curiosity and to a wonder mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. often was lost on me as a young seminary student who was really taught like in these, you know, nine weeks or whatever it is, we're studying these three things and then you have a paper and you have to decide what you think and what the Bible says. That <laughs> and then you move along. That was hard and it was stressful. And then you're done and you don't go back <laughs> to that topic. Oh, that's such and a good so, point. And yeah. so uh, to allow space to go, hey, there's some mystery in there. Um, and to see like there's beauty in that God interacts with his people. Like God sees where you're at in, mm. in history and in culture mm-hmm. and the things you're facing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's more of a dance than it is a really black and white. So that's very life-giving. Um, life-giving for me just as the scholarly places I've been, but also as a um, person that wants to give an answer for everything. And so to go, I don't have to here. And that's really nice, you know? Mm-hmm. You say mystery, wonder, and awe? Were those yeah. the three that you said? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. like that. So, uh, I don't know. Mystery likes you, Tim. Mystery me. Yeah. 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 I, I find it, I mean, for me, I think it's the flip side. It wasn't mystery leading me to curiosity. It was curiosity leading mm. me to mystery. You know, like what Pete does um, is he stirs curiosity. He just, he forces you to reckon with things that are in the text. And, and a lot of them aren't new. I mean, these aren't new, like the, the, the Proverbs thing, that's not new, or the evolution of some laws, that's not new per se. But what, what he's doing that is so good is then drawing from that, hey, you know, this we're we are people of the book, but we're people of the spirit mm-hmm. and the book. You know what I mean? It's not just following the letters on the page as if that was they they were designed to cover every possible human circumstance, yeah. you know. What else? Tim, what about you? Tim what Um, I wrote down uh and these aren't these aren't big profound things, but and Bonnie, you touched on this one a little bit, the idea that we have such a vice grip on the Bible mm-hmm. um, f- because a lot of the reasons that you guys have brought up out of um, fear or, or the generation before us or different things. And we're, af- and we are, af- we're afraid to, so uh, long, short story long, or long story <laughs> short, I'm trying to condense it. So I guess I've gone that way. Uh, I like this idea of this permission to step away from the Bible for yeah. a second not to let go of it or to um, devalue it, but be, to be able to take a breath, to be able to re-encounter it correctly. Because mm. I mm. think that so many of us grow up with a 
you know, a, a wrong interpretation of so much of the Bible, right? And so, as I've reiterated many times, we've been having lots of conversations about context and genre and all these wonderful things of how to approach the Bible correctly to learn the intent behind yeah. the writing. But you can't do that if you have that vice grip mm -hmm. on it. So I like this idea of this permission to kind of step away, take a breath, and re-encounter it in a way that would be more healthy and more intentional, I guess, if yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like his analogy of like, the Bible goes along with me. This idea of like this group of yeah. people. So it's not like this Bible is this interrogative thing that tells me what to do. It's like a companion as I grow and learn. Yeah, and so like I said in the last episode, I'm, I'm, in, I'm really enjoying um, learning all this Jewish um, context to things and more fully understanding the Old Testament, more understanding the history, the Jewish history of things. And sometimes I think if I would have just held the vice grip, um, I wouldn't be open to hearing any of mm -hmm. that. So I love this, and I love the mystery and the wonder and the awe, and I don't know that the vice grip allows for a lot of that either because mystery can be very scary, right? It's, it's, it's nebulous to a certain extent when you're entering into it, right? You don't quite know what you're poking your, when you're poking your head in the cloud, you're not quite sure what you're going to see or what you're going to find, which is kind of the, what's so wonderful about mystery. And I think sometimes that vice grip disallows us to see the wonder and the mystery and the awe of God just yeah. in general. Like, uh, Rabbi Wardlev was one of the people that talked about the, um, uh, wasn't he the one that was talking about the infinite nature of God and because God is infinite in that way like there's just a there's a continual wonder of discovery mm -hmm. in that and I love that like I love the idea that the longer that I try to pursue learning more about God that that the infiniteness of him will never allow me to get all the way through it I'm always going to be in a sense of wonder and awe and and mystery and I really appreciate yeah. that um, the other thing I, and I brought this up in the interview was I, I really, and Mike, you just brought this up, this idea of, and I can't, I already can't remember cause I'm very foggy this morning, um, how you just put it and how he put it, but this idea of the youth of today and, um, I, and being communal driven, right. I don't remember how exactly you guys yeah. said that, but yeah, I love it. And so I'm, you know, I'm plugged in with 18, 19, 20 year olds uh, every day of the week right now and they are there are so there's this really interesting communal aspect to that uh um that age group and i i think it's so i think we have so much to learn from the way that they are so intentional with each yeah. other in community and i have just been like i've been continually learning and in so in awe of that generation i think that they're so when I think about the church coming out of the coronavirus and that kind of stuff, I'm so interested in the way that the youth is going to navigate mm -hmm. that. And mm -hmm. I think we have so much to learn from the way that they're doing things. And um, so I don't know. I, I, I really um, I'm inspired by that. I mean, so, well, I, I think know. that's the end of my no, sentence. I think that was so good. And I forgot that he said that, that the example he gave about his student, he's like, I have that student um, and somebody came out on Facebook and then I saw some of the students commenting and saying oh my gosh like congratulations and we support you and all that stuff he's like but I also know what they think about like seven day creation and against evolution so it was interesting to me because on the one hand I agree with you I feel inspired by that relational aspect on the other hand it shows this big dissonance between this ancient book and these thoughts we have about God and these theologies we have and then relationally how we do it like I'm wondering 
is that okay? And or should we always continually work so that they can kind of come more together? Just a question I have in mm. general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> what, when, you said something, Bonnie, earlier that, that this was one of the questions I had. He was talking about does Paul is Paul telling us how to oh, live? Yeah. And and I'm like, I think he mm. is. I think Jesus is. <laughs> and and um, so so one of the questions I would have would just be like, and I know in his book he deals with the Ten Commandments and the law, but I I think after talking to you know AJ, she'd have a a really different mm -hmm. take on it. Um, I but I do think there there are parts that are um, that are directive and not just reflective of what my experience of God is mm -hmm. at the time. You know what I mean? That, that, that bit, at least in his book, we need to get it in ton into it in the, in the interview. Um, that's the part I wrestle with is how much of the Bible, according to P is re revelatory mm -hmm. and how much of it is just a record of, Israel's experiences mm -hmm. with God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like who, mm -hmm. who's, who's accommodating to who? Cause he'll go on to say, listen, this act of wisdom is, a, he uses this word, it's reimagining God. And, you know, I think he means contextualizing God. I think he does, but that would just be a, a big question is like, I don't know. There are parts that seem to be like, this is God speaking. This is God and then Israel or Paul or whoever has to adjust based on that rather than them just adjusting based on their circumstances. You know what I'm saying? Is this making any sense? I think so. Yes. <laughs> I do say yes. Well, I, this is, this is, so this kind of, well, you can tell me if I'm way off because maybe I don't understand. So let me, can I ask a question yeah. to your question or? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. So how long are we? 22 yeah. minutes. I don't want to, I don't want to make this go too long, but this is the question I had from the last episode that lays over into this, I think somewhat. Oh, this is the tease. I, ha I wrote it down on this card. Um, <laughs> I, I, so I'm wondering if, if in some of that stuff, if it's a both and mm -hmm. right. So, um, I, I, one of the biggest conversations that comes around the Bible that I continually have with people is, um, and and so and this is Pete's one of Pete's big things, right? Is inerrancy of the Bible or errancy of the Bible and that kind of stuff. So I've been, as I've said in the podcast about a thousand times, and so I apologize for reiterating this again. But um, I've been on this journey of just learning about partnership with God, right? And looking at uh, and we talked about this two episodes ago or whatever. Um, you know, partnership in creating kings and queens and and uh and just the joy that god had in his creation and then bringing humans into it and so there's there's this continual thing of partnership of spirit and flesh and I, and you see it throughout and jesus becomes an embodiment of that to a certain extent and um i i've been finding prayer to be that as well this idea of petitioning god but but finding partnership in the things that i'm asking mm -hmm. for right it's not just a not just a wish list as much as it is like I I there's things that there's actions usually that I have to kind of partake in when I'm when I'm asking for certain things like there's there's a spirit and flesh in that sometimes too and so when I look at the Bible and it is divinely inspired and written by man um, it has and so there is um, 
interpretation and there is inflection and there is these different things and there is authorship, uh, right? And that comes with the genre stuff to a certain mm -hmm. extent, right? Like authors dictate the the tone and the way in which the, the scripture is delivered. Uh, and then it's flesh in the way that it is interpreted too. But I, I totally believe in the divinity that's along inside of that. So I'm wondering what that connection is and how that, how that, infers what Mike what you just brought up and then like just how we engage with the Bible in general like that that balance between what God is doing and what man is doing in there with it does yeah. that make sense mm -hmm. dude that's massive yeah yeah that's why I, I don't know if it was too big for and we can just cut that out no <laughs> every time you make like a great Not point you're like we should cut that out yeah, let's go back. I think that I love that question. And I think for me, in response to you and Mike, it is a, well, it is, I want to say it's a both and. At the same time, I, because I think, I think it is a both and. I get wary of saying, like to me, I'm more comfortable. That doesn't mean it's right. Okay. But I'm more comfortable in saying, like, the whole thing points us towards wisdom or the whole thing's a rule book. I'm uncomfortable saying, I believe it mostly points us towards wisdom, but then these very specific things teaches us exactly how to live. Because then I feel like we have we could have a tendency to only pick out the stuff that appeals to our own agendas and privileges and stuff like that. So that makes me go, I don't know. You know what I mean? So in the example of Paul, um, it's tough for me to say I think he's teaching us exactly how to live in a black and white. I didn't say exactly. I didn't oh, say exactly. For some reason, all of a sudden you were like loud. Yeah. Mike yeah. booming all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, sorry. I don't sorry, know sorry, 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 sorry. Um, no, not exactly. I just mean like instructional. Um, I guess my question then would be, well, what type of instruction, um, how are we picking and choosing Um to end's point of saying it's only reading half the conversation, um, to me, I kind of love that in terms of going, okay, so then I can't know exactly what is in instructive and what is more, hey, this is what happened here. So then how shall we live? Um, so I oscillate there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. No, and I'm with you. Um, the last... The last thing I think any of us want is a return to the vice grip mm -hmm. and the outworking of the vice grip, which is control and power and whatever else. I think what I'm saying is when Paul says, listen, here's what Christ has done. Now be imitators mm -hmm. of God. I don't, I, I, I see him outlining what, what kingdom people do or like the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he literally says at the end of it, for those of you who follow this teaching, you're like building, you know, a house on a foundation uh, the, of stone as opposed to sand. And so I think that there are elements of the scriptures that are directive, but they're directive not in the traditional way. I wonder how much of the uncomfortability is based on, and I don't know, I don't even know if it's a fair question, is based on how the directives have been held and given versus because because wouldn't we say i mean wouldn't we say the scripture teaches to be kind uh and loving yeah. to other people we yeah. agree with that correct 
Um, and, and we would also say the scripture uh, demonstrates or gives examples of that, that that care goes to immigrants. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and that the people who don't do that are violating and who claim to be Christian are violating something. Would we yeah. agree with that? So in that case, we are, we are saying there is an arc, a moral arc to the scriptures towards the love of, of yeah. the other, right? And that there is imperative force behind that such that we could actually discern that in some cases that the, the arc of the scripture is not being followed, mm -hmm. right? Does that make sense? I mean, not right, but does yes. that make sense? Yeah. So, so for me, um, like when you get to second or first Timothy two and it's, Hey, I do not permit a woman. Okay. Now we're, now we are in the grips of a conversation that we don't know the second mm -hmm. part of. But when Paul's saying generally, you know, put on these things and put off these mm. things, or that the fruit of the spirit is this, or the, the, the deeds of the flesh are these, of course, those are historically contextualized. But they're also, I think, indicators of the kind of life that, that um, is aligned with the yeah. kingdom. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like generally. Now, that doesn't mean that, that the details are worked out at all. And this is where Pete nails it, right? I mean, what's joy look like in this circumstance? What's, yeah. what's gentleness look like here? And what boundaries do I need to have? And that's, man, that is the practical outworking of wisdom and therapy and wrestling and the community. Absolutely. But I don't want to remove all the imperative force from Jesus or Paul. Um, because, I mean, you even asked, you asked a brilliant question. Well, you asked several, but one of them was, hey, how do we draw lines around proper, uh, proper interpretation? And, and he said, um, I, I, know, I know false interpretation when I see it. And he gave the example of creation in six days and evolution is false. I just think we have we have more to say about proper interpretation than that. You know, I know it when I see it. Well, based on based on what? Maybe maybe wisdom for some is thinking there's a literal six day creation and that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so that I just don't. The, that is the hard part of this conversation because that like the um, uh, this idea of being able to read and interpret the Bible correctly or whatever and, 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 and kind of garner from it what is intended from the different things. When, when you start having conversations with people, they're like, well, that sucks because I'm not, I don't have time to go to seminary. I don't have X, Y, and Z. I don't have the ability to rip this text open and get the, and kind of take the pulse of it to figure out exactly what is happening here. Like that seems like a bad design flaw on God's part, right? Like that's I I've had that conversation. I had that conversation two days ago. Yeah. And they're just like this. That's terrible. If that's really the way that it is, well, then how are we supposed to succeed? That's too. That's way too difficult. That's way too whatever. You know, if I have to like, if it takes that amount of effort, if people are going to seminary and coming out with false interpretations. Um, you know, the rest of us that don't even go to seminary, it's like, well, geez, Louise. Yeah, I think, yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I do. I know exactly what you mean. And you can go to seminary and still come out, like you said, with like, <laughs> wait, what? Um, yeah, nothing, nothing magic no, about that. Put your career on hold and wait and 
spent a lot of money. <laughs> so, um, but um, to your point and back to your point too, Erie is like one of the things that I maybe he was trying to say, at least how I heard it was him saying, I, I can recognize mm. false interpretations when I, when I hear it is mm -hmm. maybe that's our first reaction. And then it inspires us to be more curious. Um, but I can recognize mm. a false interpretation when mm. I see it just by the fruit that it bears. It's, something's not right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it's Absolutely. on me to go why and to dive in and to search or whatever. So I, I, that's mm -hmm. how I took what mm -hmm. he was saying. Like we can all recognize yeah. stuff that's not, that doesn't seem to line up. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So. For me, I've like a lot of it's been through that. I think we talked about this, the lens of like the, those two commandments, right? Uh, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor and looking at things through that. If I, if I just take that lens, if I park there and look at things through that. The Pete ends, if you will. What's that? The Pete the lens? The Pete lens, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I look at things through that and things don't jive, then I, then I have to, I feel like I have to reconsider. So that immigration stuff or things like that kind of come into that lens where it's like, well, what you guys are telling me, that doesn't line up yeah. with this. So now I, now I want to ask a question as to why what where how you got to where and you maybe got. that's the gift of wisdom, right if you want to exclude right? is that it stirs yeah this i don't think that's right and then how we go about finding the answer the problem is is most people aren't going about and finding an answer right they're exactly. just looking up things that confirm their bias versus like okay how should i how now should i approach this or what tools do i have or does that make sense yeah so yes mm -hmm. absolutely but it's it but even that is interesting, Bonnie, because it's, I, I, and I, I so wrestle with like, here's, here's this, um, this, this voice in my head that's saying, um, yeah, but isn't it convenient that at every point where the Bible offends modern sensibilities, we're able to then say, um, yeah, that was just the, you know, where, you know, it, it like, it starts with us and not the text. So whenever I look around the world and I see something I don't like, then I'm driven to the text and I'm like, dude, that's totally true. That's absolutely true. And that is the gift of wisdom. But there's also a part where the reverse seems to be true too, where, um, the way of Jesus seems to, to require us to set aside some of our modern sensibilities and embrace ancient ones, right? And this is where, of course, uh, Pete, I think, would disagree mightily. But, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of, um, like, for instance, when Jesus talks about lust um, and we have the booming, you know, pornography industry, um, you know, there's a sense of um, he's addressing such a core human problem um, and such a sort of socially accepted kind of sin that most of us, most Christians would even, not most, I shouldn't even say that, but some would look and say, well, that's just part of human life, right? And so our, our sensibility as to what should offend us has been numb by the culture in which we live. You know what I mean? So it seems like there again, it's another both and is, does that make sense? Yeah, I don't think I... I don't think anybody would say, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just am not in the conversation. I haven't heard anybody say, well, porn, porn's just who also believes in Jesus. Well, porn's just a, a way of life, a part of the life. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I've heard that oh, a lot. Okay. <laughs> I have to maybe in yeah. male circles. Women, 
Yeah, yeah, I don't think that <laughs> aren't looking at it like it's that. Probably not shared or, or in front of sisters. Um, yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, I think it. Um, I you could do that convenience thing, like you just said. Anybody could. To that. That's where I was saying, like, Absolutely. that's where I have trouble with going. Yes, it it's this, except for here. Uh, then it is a exact way. Is that we could confirm our own biases no matter what. I think I said that in a Sunday thing. I said whatever you go looking for in the text you'll find it. So if you go looking Absolutely. for something Absolutely. to fit your agenda on X, Y, and Z, or to confirm the fear you have about the coronavirus, that it is a play, you will find mm -hmm. it. And that's just true. Yeah. So it's, yes. that's what makes it tough. The wisdom framework, I think, at least for me, has set the stage for me to hold off some of that digging and searching of a confirmation of my bias. Because I yeah. can't mm -hmm. go ancient mm -hmm. to now. Like, it's not just this, like, straight bridge across, which is the way I was taught oh, I to listen. view scripture. Totally. Me too. And and I'm not at all saying there's oh, a yeah. straight line. Yeah. No, no. It's I mean, very I'm, wiggly. I, it's wiggly. It's mysterious. And, and you know, N.T. Wright's word is improvised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, mm -hmm. we, we know the beginning of the story. We know the end of the story. We're living in, you know, part of the end of the story and we're yeah. improvising based on yeah. the text. We need to do a whole mini episode on that because that's that you're that NT right five act play thing has come yeah. up so many times as a reference point. But I don't think it's ever been fully fleshed no, out that's in conversation. True. It's the well, he uses it in a book called um, The Authority of Scripture. And he argues he argues, how can the Bible be authoritative? He's dealing with the same set of data. Pete mm -hmm. is. Um, but how can the Bible be authoritative in the midst of that, in the midst of it being hijacked? Yeah. Right. How in the world do you start arbitrating between competing wisdoms or competing interpretations? Yeah. Right. And, um, and so that I found that to be a super helpful way. And maybe that's worth, uh, worth the whole yeah. episode. Well, and I think it's, oh, but, go ahead. but I, I was no, just no, going to no, say that go. made me think too of, um, if we're talking about context, like N.T. Wright's context, age, everything that's gone into his work is vastly different than mine, than yours, than N's, right? So you so, mm -hmm. so sometimes um, N's writes the way he does, I think, and gives a place for the spiritually homeless because, like, that was his story. You know, he, he mm -hmm. got totally. asked to leave the seminary he was teaching at because he asked yeah. these questions. So part of it is, like, um, for all of us, the, we bring so much to the text, whether we want to or not, whether we say we don't or we put it aside, we just we just have it. And that's part of the the beauty and the pain of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But what do you do with that once it's yeah. acknowledged? You know, where do you personally go with um, that? That's where... Um, I, um, it's a both and for me, right? So it's a, what is mm. the, I go back to my, um, the only way I really know how to read the Bible, which is like, what is the Greek word here? What's the historical context? What's that? And then this idea mm. of, mm. okay, but who am I in history? And I believe the spirit's alive and talking mm -hmm. to me now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm acknowledging mm -hmm. this is how I'm reading it. And this is what I'm bringing. This is history. And this is what that's bringing. And so then where's wisdom in the context of both of those? Mm. Yep. 
Mm. And I go to people like you who do that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Bonnie, why don't you wrap us up, man? Good stuff. So um, if you guys have any questions about ends, you can ask ends directly. He has, um, I think he's going to share it. So you can ask on his page too. Um, Or you can always email us. And um, we are grateful to be a, a group of people that listen to other points of view that allow this conversation to continue in ways that are curious and we hope it invokes wonder and awe and mystery in you boom like that boom and the scooby-doo says ruh ruh raggy it's our blessing yeah. <laughs> mm.